You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. How you doing? Yeah, we can celebrate this morning, right? As not only is the cross empty, but the tomb is empty. They checked it again this morning. Still nobody in there. So it's good. We're good. We're good. And Jesus is alive. And we're going to celebrate that today. Um, Already uh, just such an incredible time with you guys. And um, just excited about what God's going to do here today, is doing here today. We've been praying uh, and planning for this day for a long time. And we believe that God has orchestrated this day. Um, Joey prayed this a while ago, but uh, you know, this is not an accident that anybody's here today. This is a divine appointment. And we believe that very strongly that you're here today for a reason, because God desires to speak to your heart, um, desires to speak to my heart and desires us to be drawn closer to him. And so um, we're going to be in uh, the message today uh, is going to be out of first Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to go there today, as we celebrate the resurrection, I really want us to look at the resurrection. I want us to look at um, just even how do we know that the resurrection even happened, right? How do we know? Listen, if I were to walk up to you today and I were to say, Hey, uh, hello, John. It's nice to meet you. Um, I'm God. What would you do? You'd be like, you're a nut, right? You'd you'd be like, you're a nut. In fact, you'd be like, this guy is a lunatic. So this, this is the first thing I want us to understand. Anybody that claims to be God is either God or they're crazy, right? Anybody that claims to be the Lord of Lords, anybody that claims to be the Lord of Uppercase Lord is either Lord or a lunatic. Can we say that? We would agree with that, right? Like there's, no, there's nobody I've ever met that if they came up to me and said, I am God, I'd be like, yes, you are. What do you want me to do, right? No, because he's either Lord or he's lunatic, right? So on that note, let's pray. Ask the spirit of God to speak to our hearts. And we're going to jump into this message. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity today. I thank you for every single person who is here, not by coincidence, not by accident, but God who is here on a divine appointment to meet with you. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts, change our hearts, God, make us different. For those who do not know you, God, I pray that there would be a great supernatural um, introduction that takes place today as they come into a knowledge of who you are and as you draw them to yourself. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I thought I'd start out today um, kind of trying to reinforce this point that if someone claims to be God, um, then they're either God or they're crazy. Um, if somebody claims to be the Lord, then they're either Lord or lunatic. And so we got a few pictures of some people you might recognize depending on your age. Um, here's one. How about this guy, Jim Jones? Anybody remember this guy? You're old enough to actually remember when this took place, right? Uh, the People's Temple Full Gospel Church. He claimed he was the reincarnation of Jesus, Buddha, and Gandhi. This dude had it going on, right? Led the Jonestown massacre where 911 followers committed suicide. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to take communion. They're going to pass around some juice. Just kidding. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. This guy claimed to be God. How about another one right here real quick? We've got David Koresh. Probably more of us remember this happening. Uh, The Branch Davidian sect leader, self-proclaimed prophet and messiah. Right? He died along with 76 followers during a standoff in Waco, Texas in 1993. And see, so we would say that this guy was a lunatic. How about the next guy? Charles Manson. 
holy psycho, right? Good gracious. Nutcase, messianic cult leader of the family. This was his quote. I'm God to my friends. I'm the devil to my enemies. Manson ordered some of the family to go on a killing spree resulting in nine deaths. Claim to be God. How about this next one? Marshall Applewhite. Now look at this guy. Would you follow this guy? Come on, seriously. Would you follow? Founder of the Heaven's Gate cult. Planet Earth, this was his quote, Planet Earth is about to be recycled. Your only chance to survive or evacuate is to leave with us. And he led 38 followers to leave Earth for a mystical spaceship following the Hellbop comet by suicide. Right? Claimed to be God. Claimed that he was the one who could save them, right? And so we see these people, we have seen people in the past, even in Jesus's day, there were people who came along who claimed to be the Messiah. But here's the thing, when they died, so did their movement. Here's the thing with these guys, when they died, so did their movement. Here's the thing I would ask you, we got to ask this question, any in- intelligent person who is going to believe in a man who was raised from the dead would ask the question, did he really raise from the dead? Is he really alive? Because here's the thing, and Paul says this in a another place in first Corinthians 15. If Jesus is still dead, if there is no resurrection, then we are to be pitied more than anyone because our hope is not in reality. It's not in truth. This is the question I would ask you today. Is Jesus Lord or is Jesus a lunatic? Because he's got to be one or the other. Is he Lord or is he lunatic? Is he Lord of your life? Is he lunatic? Is he God? Or is he just some crazy man that lived almost 2000 years ago, right? a little over 2000 years ago and died. And that was the end today. That's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about it out of first Corinthians chapter 15, because this is what I believe. And this is what I found. Um, I don't believe it is only reasonable to believe in the resurrection. I believe that it is foolish not to believe in the resurrection based on the history that God has given us and his word that he has given us and the progressive revelation that God has given us. God has laid out um, this revelation of himself from the beginning of creation all the way up until now. And my prayer is that today we'll be able to see this. We'll be able to see this in a way that we understand first and foremost in our heart that it's reality, the Holy Spirit. Spirit shows us, but that we also realize we don't have to divorce our mind to be a follower of Jesus, but it is actually very logical and that God has done exactly what he says he's done in his word. And he has raised Jesus from the dead. So look at first Corinthians chapter 15, verse one it says now brothers, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that Jesus came. He lived, he walked. Um, he, he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He was buried. And in three days he came back to life. Now he sits at the right hand of the father. It's basically the gospel that he gave for us. He died for us. He says, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is extremely important, Paul's saying. This is something we really need to grab hold of. And what is it he's talking about? The resurrection. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according 
to the scriptures. Let's stop right there. I want to give you some ways that we can know. We, we know that the resurrection happened. Some ways that we can see how God rolled this out throughout all of eternity. The first one is this. I want, to, I want to talk to you about this, what I would call the bloodline. If you're taking notes, write this down. The bloodline. There's a bloodline that we can trace in scripture. And I want you to see that this goes all the way back to creation. If you remember, the very first verse of the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created, right? Billions and billions of dollars have been spent trying to disprove that. Still hasn't been disproven. And so we see that God created and everything was perfect. Everything that God created was good. But then what happened in Genesis chapter three? Anybody know? They ate the doggone fruit, right? Like I, I got a little, little bone to pick with Adam and Eve. Whenever I see him, if I see him, I'm going to, you know, just nice firm, just once, just want to get one in, right? Because they didn't have to eat every other fruit, right? And they had to eat this one. And so we see that there was sin. Sin came into the world and, and God comes and he begins to place um, the, 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 basically the consequences of sin. Satan did what he always does. He overpromised the, the benefits of sin and he underestimated the consequences of sin. Adam and Eve fell for the scheme that we fall for many times. And then they sinned and exactly what God told them would happen, happened. They died spiritually. And then later they died physically. And people would say, well, why didn't they die when they ate the fruit? Anybody seen Adam and Eve lately? Adam and Eve did not drop by your house and have a cup of coffee because they're dead, right? Yes, they're dead. And so here's the thing that we see that they were separated from God spiritually. This perfect union that they had with God, it had been broken. It had been marred. It had been messed up because of sin. Sin comes between us and God. I would also point out to you how many times did Adam and Eve have to sin to separate themselves from God? One, anybody ever committed a sin in here? <laughs> yeah, right? We all have probably on the way here this morning. And so we realize that we've been separated from God, but God does something. I want you to see this in Genesis chapter three, verse 21, when after he comes in and he begins to, to, to separate out things and he gets the story, not, not that he didn't know the story, but Adam and Eve finally tell the story. And then he begins to speak to them and, and, and he comes in, in verse 21, it says this, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Well, how, where do you get those garments of skin? He made garments of skin. In this scripture, we see the first sacrifice that ever took place in the Bible. And why did God make the sacrifice? So that he could cover the sin, the shame, and the guilt of Adam and Eve. Of the people who had sinned. The people who had destroyed his creation. Think about this, y'all. Think about this. When they messed up, when they entered into sin, when they screwed it all up, everything that God created, God wasn't surprised and God didn't run away. What did he do? He demonstrated, this is important, his grace and mercy and covered their shame, their, their shame and their sin. And we see the first shedding of blood. This is why we call this the bloodline. This bloodline begins to take place. And you can follow this bloodline all the way from the very beginning of Genesis, all the way to the cross. And I want you to see this today, that the first thing that we see in this sacrifice is that God does it because of his grace and he does it because of his mercy. Just because he loves us, grace, that God doesn't give us what we deserve, judgment, mercy, that, 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 that we are, are absolutely forgiven. God gives us what we don't deserve in grace and in mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve, which is judgment, right? And so we come to this place where 
we see this first sacrifice begin to take place. If you go over to Genesis chapter 22, I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time, but we are, have been introduced to a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham um, is promised that he would have a son, but he's like 90 some years old. And, and, and man, you know, it's not looking good, right? And he hasn't had his son yet. And yet God promises him a son. And finally he has a son by the name of Isaac. And then God one day tells him that he's to go and sacrifice Isaac up on a, 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 a mountain. And, and so Abraham being obedient to God, he goes. And, and here, this is the hard thing to, to fathom is he's actually about to sacrifice this son who he'd been promised. And, and as he takes the knife up and is about to stab his son to sacrifice him as the Lord has commanded him, the Lord stops him. And then over in a thicket, it says that there was a ram that was provided for the sacrifice. And so here's the cool thing about it. One thing is this, that Abraham was not forced to do what God was willing to do himself, give up his only son. The second thing that we see is that God provided a substitute that would be the sacrifice. That's very important for us to understand. So one thing we need to see in this bloodline is that God is, is, is giving it to us by grace and mercy. The other thing we need to see is that God provides a substitute sacrifice. If you keep going, you get to Exodus and you know all about Pharaoh and you probably heard about him and all the plagues. Well, the last plague was one where God was going to come through, kill the firstborn of Egypt. So they would finally let his people go. And they took and they had to kill a perfect, innocent lamb. And they killed this lamb. And when they killed it, they had to put blood around the door, on top of the door, around the door. So that when the angel uh, passes through at night, they see, he sees the blood and he passes over the people of Israel. And in this, this sacrifice, what we see is that it was to save and deliver Israel from bondage and captivity. So we see that by God's grace and mercy, he provides a sacrifice, a substitute for us. And it is to save and to deliver us. And then if you look over in the book of Leviticus, you can turn, it'll be up on the screen. Verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 11 says this, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And so God says, I've given you this sacrifice to make atonement for your sin. And so the next thing we see in this sacrifice, in this bloodline that starts in Genesis at the beginning of, 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 of all creation and, and at the first sin and goes all the way to the cross, we see that in this, it makes an atonement for our sin. In other words, it makes at one minute, it, think of atonement as at one minute, it reconciles us back to God. And so God shows us very clearly four things that are going to take place because of the sacrifice and because of this blood that would be shed from Genesis all the way to the cross. The first is that it comes by grace. It comes by mercy. The second is that he would provide a substitute sacrifice for us. The third is that it would be to save and deliver us from bondage and captivity. And then the fourth is that it would bring us back and reconcile us to God. Now, see, here's the incredible thing. When Jesus begins his ministry, John the Baptist, who was prophesied to come before Jesus, is out there and he's preaching his guts out. He's preaching like crazy, right? And he's, he's talking about the Messiah who is to come. Jesus comes walking by one day as John's baptizing and he looks up, sees Jesus, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And what I want you to understand today and what I want you to see that covers 66 
36 books, 39 Old Testament books that point to this one sacrifice that would happen. 66 other books that tell us, written by over 40 authors that point us to this one sacrifice, is that when Jesus came into the earth and he lived a perfect life, he was the spotless lamb without blemish. And when he went to the cross and he died for you, it was because of God's grace. It was because of his mercy. He died as a substitute for you so that you wouldn't have to die. He came so that we could be saved and delivered from the bondage of sin and death. And then we finally see that he has reconciled us back to the father. See, that's what we celebrate today at Easter is a God who gave his only son so that we could be reconciled back to the father. And it was all out of grace and mercy. See, God today is not running from your sin. God ran to your sin so that he can make a sacrifice to cover your sin. I'm preaching better than y'all are amen. And I can tell you that. The second thing, and this comes out of these same scriptures, see, see here's, and let me, let me point you back to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that Paul's telling us that he's passed this on to us, what he received was important, that Christ died for our sins. In other words, this had been foretold for a long, long time, that Christ died for our sins, that he shed his blood for our sins. According to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Well, what about those scriptures? What is it about those? See, listen, in throughout the scripture, there, there are hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah who would come. And again, just like that first sacrifice takes place in Genesis chapter three, verse 21, the very first prophecy of Christ takes place in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. This is after sin. This is when God comes in and begins to speak to Eve. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, there will be one that comes from woman who will undo what's been done in the garden. See, here's the reality, people. What took place in the garden is not greater than what took place on the cross. Jesus overcame sin. He overcame death and it was prophesied all the way back to the point of original sin. I don't know if you've walked in on your children, if you have kids and they're doing something wrong. The first thing I don't usually do is promise them that one day I'm going to deliver them. The first thing I do is with my belt, right? And yet God comes in and he says, I'm going to make a way for you to come back to me. And see, it just begins here. It just begins in the very first um, time that we see sin take place. And he prophesies one day there will be one who comes who will overcome sin. And we begin to see um, through the sacrifice. We see through these prophecies that Jesus is who he says he is. I've got three pages and I don't have time to read them all of, of, of and this isn't even all of them. There's hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that began in Genesis 3 and went all the way through the Old Testament. Again, all these books, all these authors writing at different times, but all of them pointing to one person who would come into history and change history and eternity forever. And you've got all these prophecies that the Messiah will be born of a woman. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah will be born of a virgin. The Messiah will come from the line of Abraham um, that we just read about. Messiah will be rejected by his people. Messiah will be mocked and ridiculed. Even down to the soldiers would gamble for the Messiah's garments. Every detail prophesied and Jesus fulfilled every prophecy, every messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled how incredible. Let me tell you how incredible. Glad you asked. If Jesus, and, and this came out of a book called The Case for Christ, but they had some really smart statistician who figured out that the chances of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies, just eight, not hundreds, eight, 
and not being the Messiah would be the same as if you covered the entire state of Texas with silver dollars two feet high, colored one of them red, threw it out in the middle of the state of Texas, blindfolded someone, had them walk out there, bend down, pick up a silver dollar, and it'd be the red one. That's his eight. To fulfill 48 prophecies, and there were hundreds, is one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. Just so you know, that's 13 trillions. One chance in a third. So I thought, how could we make this more understandable? Because we can't even fathom those numbers. The odds of you winning the Powerball lottery is one in 175 million. If you win, call me. Really, seriously. Call. We, will, we will redeem that money. And everybody's like, would you take lottery money? We will pray over that money and use it for the kingdom of God. I'm just telling you. But here's the thing, y'all. One in 175 million. Do you realize how small that is? Do you realize how infinite or how, how finite this is? How little of a chance it is that Jesus would not be who he says he is from the prophecies that he fulfilled. We got to hurry. The third one, let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm sorry. From verse 3 and 4, let's move on. Uh, it says, and he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And then he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Here's one of the most fascinating ways we know that the resurrection really happened. So we see that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he would do from the sacrifices that took place. All the way pointing to the cross. We see that he is and who he says he is and did what he said he would do from all the prophecies that he fulfilled. And then we get to this and we see some of the most awesome things. This one is, is that, and this is number three, that the changed apostles. Lives point to the resurrection. Think about who these people were before the resurrection. Before the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were fearful. They were cowards. And yet they went from being cowards to being courageous. If you read in the gospel of Mark chapter 14, when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered. And Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, most people say from the perspective of Peter, even drops a little hint in there that some kid ran away naked because he got so scared. He like threw off his, like his, his tunic or whatever he was wearing. He's like, ah, and just took off running. Because they all freaked out and they all scattered and they all left and they all became cowards. Peter denied him three times. They watched him get, they, all of them, they watched him get beat. They watched him get crucified and they did nothing. Why? They were cowards. And yet we see these men go from being cowards to being courageous. We see these men begin to be transformed. They went a few weeks later after the resurrection and began to proclaim it. Not running from persecution, but embracing persecution because they knew the truth of what they were proclaiming. See, we need to understand that people will die for what they believe to be true. People will not die for what they know is a lie. We need to come to the understanding that something drastically significant happened that changed it so much so that they embraced persecution, even martyrdom. We know this from history that James, the brother John, that Herod Agrippa killed him with a sword. We know this, that Peter was crucified upside down, not crucified as Jesus crucified upside down because he did not feel he was worth being crucified in the same manner as Jesus. Andrew crucified, Thomas thrust with pine spears and burned alive, Philip tortured and crucified, Matthew beheaded, Nathaniel flayed, that means skinned alive and crucified. James, Jesus' half-brother, half-brother because his father's God, right? 
James, Jesus' half-brother, was cast off of the temple. When he did not die because he was cast off of the temple, they beat him to death and stoned him. Simon, crucified. Judas Thaddeus, beaten to death with sticks. Matthias, stoned while being crucified. That's a good one. John, who was the only one to die a natural death. But you know, the, the history tells us that he was boiled in hot oil before they put him on the island of Patmos. And it didn't kill him. And so they put him on the island of Patmos and he finally died a natural death. Something happened and it was the resurrection. They had seen the resurrected Jesus. The Holy Spirit had filled them. The Holy Spirit had changed their hearts and they began to run with the gospel truth of who Jesus is. Let's keep reading. It goes on. It tells us that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. So listen, listen, you can write this down. It couldn't have been legend because it takes at least two generations for legend to form. These, this, this, what we're reading right now was one of the first Christian creeds that there ever was. And what we see in this is that this was developed about two years after the resurrection took place. So it couldn't have been like, there were people who would have refuted it. There would have been documents written saying this isn't true, but there's not. And so we see again that as he appears to these 500, you can write that down that he could, could not have been legend. The next one, verse seven says this. It says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. He appeared to James. And I just want to hit this again really quick, because here's something that's really fascinating. There are two books of the Bible that are written by Jesus's brothers. And I want you to hear how these Bible books begin. His other brother, other than James, was named Jude. This is how Jude begins the, the scripture that he wrote, the book of the Bible that he wrote. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. This is how James begins his book of the Bible. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have brothers and sisters? What would it take for you to say, my name is Sheila, a servant of the Lord, whatever your sister or your brother's name is. I asked Dake yesterday, we went and saw that, the movie God's Not Dead. We were on the way home. I said, Dake, um, and I was kind of preached. See, if you're a preacher's kid, you have to hear the sermon on Saturday. And so I kind of preached the whole sermon to him. And, and I said, what would it take for you to worship Dr- Jackson? Who's my oldest. Like if Jackson walks up one day and he's like, Dake, I am God. And I don't know if you know this or not, but one day every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jackson is Lord. Like Dake is going to punch him so hard. I said, Dave, what would it take for you to worship Jackson? And he said, something big, daddy. (laughs) And I said, exactly. And it was the resurrection. See, you can go and read in Mark chapter three, John chapter seven, that that his brothers didn't even like him. They were trying to go get him to go on to Jerusalem before he was, it was time for him to be crucified so that he would be killed. They didn't even like him. But then when we get to Acts chapter 1, 12 through 14, we see that his mother's there worshiping him. We find out that two of his brothers um, wrote books of the New Testament. We find out that one of his uh, brothers became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. What would it take for you to worship your brother or your sister? I can tell you what it would take. It would take someone dying, being put in a tomb for three days, resurrecting, you seeing them, them ascending to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit to fill you and change your heart and give you a greater purpose in life than even life itself on this earth that's what it would take the next one we go on and read in verse 8 says this 
And last of all, remember Paul's writing this, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I'm the least of the apostles and do not even desire to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, the resurrection. We preach God who is alive. And this is what you believed. The sixth one is this, that Paul's changed life tells us that the resurrection happened. See, Paul, as one abnormally born, had a, an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. But you got to understand Paul's background. Paul was a zealous Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was climbing the hierarchical ladder in, in, the, in the Jewish religion. He had everything going for him. He was intelligent. Everybody knew that Paul was a big deal. And yet he, he, he hated Christians. He was not only zealous for Judaism, but he was also very zealous against Christians. And he would go and he would have Christians arrested. He would have Christians murdered. When the first martyr, Stephen, was was killed, he was literally stoned to death. There was Paul who was standing there holding the clothes of the people. Many people say there was probably Paul who orchestrated it um, and and caused this to, to take place and this to happen. Paul hated Christians. Paul hated Jesus. And yet one day as Paul is minding his own business, and this is important because Paul didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for Paul. And Paul is riding down the road or walking down the road or whatever he was doing. I don't know if he was cruising around in his Jerusalem cruiser sandals. I don't know what he was doing, but he's going down the road. And one day Jesus appears to him, changes his life, goes blind. And then he becomes the greatest missionary evangelism that there's ever been. Such a bad guy that when, when, when God sends, when Jesus sends Ananias to go pray for him, Ananias is like, (laughs) I don't think so, God. Right? And yet he says, no, you need to go. You need to go. I'm going to show this guy how much he must suffer for my name. I'm going to show him what he needs to do for my name. I want you to go and I want you to pray with him because I have plans for Paul's life. And people didn't even want to receive him as a Christian because they were afraid it was a setup for him to come in and arrest them. That's the power of the resurrection, people. That's what God has done. The resurrection happened, changed lives, the bloodline, the prophecies. Everything points to the reality that Jesus is who he says he is. That we're not out of our minds because we're worshiping him. We're, not, we're, we're actually in our minds because the veil has finally been removed from our eyes so that we can see clearly the reality of Christ. And what he's done. All these changed lives. And the last one is this, that God is still changing lives. (laughs) Here's the awesome thing. Unlike all of those people that we saw, unlike all of the people before Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. See, when their movement, when they died, so did their movement. This movement really began at the creation of, of everything, right? In Genesis that we looked at. But when Jesus died, the movement just continued. In fact, the movement got stronger. And it grew. And there's still millions of lives that are being changed. In fact, this is what I would tell you. The last and greatest evidence of the reality of the resurrection is lives that are still being changed today. Let's watch this video. When I think about the crucifixion, uh, I just can't help but realize it was my sin that put him on on the cross. My sin nailed him to that cross, and I didn't even deserve it. 
You know, I really think the Lord started getting a hold of my life in uh, March of 2013. I was uh, house-sitting for a coach at George Southern, and uh, Lindsey O'Connor asked me to go to church. You know, I was all the way on the other side of town, and I really didn't want to go, but reluctantly I did. Um, I came to a connection, and uh, I walked in, and everybody was greeting me, and I sat there, and, you know, we went through the, the music, and uh, then I really, really was touched by what Brandon was talking about that day. What he was talking about was it's not that you have to clean yourself up and then come to Christ, but come to Christ and he's going to clean you up. I really just it really kind of struck home, but uh, kind of kept it myself because I'm stubborn like that. But uh, a couple weeks later, I went to 180 Fitness to a college Bible study, and I really saw true Christians and how they interacted with each other and how they just worshiped the Lord. That night, I, I, I went home and uh, I... I just surrendered the Lord. I realized that He loves me the way I am. Ever since then, it's just been a 180 turn. Um, I got baptized last fall. I serve in, in the Amen Corner, up there in the corner with Billy and DJ and all those guys. I'm in the best connect group ever. And uh, really what I, I want people to see is uh, how I'm transformed through Christ. You know, uh, I just, I don't know where he's going to lead me, but I want those directions to be from him. You know, I don't want to do anything for myself. I want to just truly just follow him and wherever he leads, I just want to follow. You know, Jesus did something for me that I could never do for myself. You know, he, he made me appear holy and blameless in the sight of the Lord. He did something for me. He died for me and I could never repay him. Jesus is still changing lives, still changing lives, still forgiving sins. And his impact is undeniable. In fact, right now, this room's full of people whose lives have been impacted by Jesus. You know, the greatest evidence that I have of Christ's reality and the resurrection, what he's done in here. I know who I was before Jesus. I know the things I tried to fill my life with, my heart with before Christ, and none of them fill me. But when I came to know him and the love and the grace and the mercy that we see in his sacrifice, when I came to know the God who chose to reveal himself to me through prophecy and through giving his own life for me, when I came to know this God who's been changing hearts for thousands of years, suddenly I knew I'd found what I'd been looking for. There are people here today, you've been searching, you've been seeking. You know you need heart change. You know you need God in your life, but you've been running. See, God, Paul wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus came looking for Paul. And the good news is today that I believe if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, that God's looking for you today. He knows where you are. He knows what you've done. Just like we saw in Genesis chapter 3. God didn't run from our sin. He ran to our sin and he ran and he gave his life for us. The Bible says that he went and endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. You know what that joy is? A relationship with you, the reconciliation of God with his creation. And that's what God desires for you today. New life that comes from Jesus. See, many of us haven't come to Christ because we see our sin as being terminal. 
but it doesn't have to be terminal. Because Jesus is alive, you can be alive too. We, we call it going from death to life. That's what the Bible talks about. Is when we come to faith in Christ, we literally go from death to life. Our spirits are made alive. We are given new hearts and new lives in him because he is alive. And just as he lives, we live. And just as he lives, we shall live. Reconciled to a loving heavenly father. Our sin gone. Our sin separated from us. Why? Because it was placed upon him and punished as our substitute so that we wouldn't have to be. Some of us, listen, we have equated ritual with spiritual and we've been around church and we've played the game and we've dressed up and we've done all the right things. We've been to the Bible studies and yet we don't have a relationship with Christ. We've never said yes to this living God who invites us to know him. Some of us are afraid that we're unwilling to leave our old life to follow. And this is what I can tell you. And I know so many times you look up here and you think that I've always just been a preacher. Listen, I don't have it all together now as a preacher. I certainly didn't have it all together before I came to know Christ. But what I can tell you is that once I came to know him, my life hasn't been easier, but it's been so much better. had some of the most difficult times in my life since I became a Christian. But when Christ is with you and he walks with you through those things, it's so different than doing life alone. Many of us here today have never met him. And today he invites us into a relationship with him. And we're going to give you this opportunity. I want you to know we have been praying for you. We've been begging God to bring you here. We've been praying for you that today you would respond to his invitation. That today you'd see the reality of the resurrection and Christ's love for you. And today you would say yes to the God of the universe who right now is thinking about you. So this is what we're going to do. I want to give you that opportunity to say yes. And right here, right now, just like Coach Couch, just like so many others, you can enter into a relationship with God. And we want to help you walk that out, doing life together. So right now, I'm going to ask you, you don't have a relationship with God, but today you say, yeah, God, speaking to my heart and I want to know him. I'm going to ask you right where you sit. Would you stand to your feet and let us celebrate the reality of Christ calling you today? Will you stand? Would you say yes to Jesus? Your heart's beating 100 miles an hour and you know it's you today. Would you stand to your feet and let us celebrate with you? I guarantee you, you won't be the only one. speaking to your heart right now and this is a bold step I understand 
There are people everywhere looking around. We don't do it with our eyes closed and heads bowed because we want to celebrate this. Today, we just like, listen, man, do it right now. Today is a day of salvation. Amen. Right now, I just believe in my heart, there's probably people here who you're thinking, yeah, Jesus probably could forgive their sins, but I don't think he could forgive mine. God's arm is not too short to save. Even you. In fact, especially you. So I'm just going to ask one more time. if we can pray for you for something specifically I don't know it may be a rededication it may be and you've been running from God in some area of your life whatever that may be I'm going to ask you if you would get up while I'm praying you can get up and walk over here with Miss Liz and Vivian and some of our prayer team Bo, Miss Linda, Mr. Frank, Mr. John we'd love to pray with you help you walk through what you're going through love on you and just help you take your next step in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you didn't move. Didn't stand up, man. It felt like your butt was sewn to the seat. When I pray, you can get up and go. Let us pray with you today. Let us be the greatest Easter you've ever had. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for life. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, God, that you gave your son for us. God, we didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But God, you made us worthy through him. You found us worthy just because of your love and your grace. God, I thank you that you are alive. I thank you, Jesus, that the tomb is empty. I thank you that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We love you and thank you as we celebrate Easter today. In Jesus' mighty and awesome name.